Welcome back to the Geo and Joel Show. Uh, today we're very excited to invite Paperboy Prince, Paperboy Love Prince, uh, community activist and mayoral candidate, onto our podcast. Paperboy, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Ha, paper, yeah. It's our time. One love. Thank you so much for having me, Joel, Giovanni. It's much love. Excited to be here. All right. So I think uh, we wanted to get started by um, just asking you to give a brief introduction to yourself. Uh, people might not know who you are or what your work is. So is there anything I left out in my uh, very short intro that you would, you'd like to fill the details in on? Um, yeah. So let's see. Where do we start? I actually met with a group recently, and they were like, I'm the ultimate um, <clears throat> multi-hyphenate, I think was the word they, that they use, because um, I do so many different things. And, you know, uh, sometimes I put certain things on the back burner to, like, promote other things that we're doing. Um, but, yes, I'm a rapper, artist, um, dancer singer, uh, curator, you know, um, promoter, um, motivational speaker. Uh, what else? What else do we do? Obviously activist, um, politician. Um, yes. Small business owner. Um, what else? Web developer. Um, so many things i can it's so many things that we do so but it's so beautiful because all of those things that we do work together and actually inform our um actually inform our work yeah and uh that's what i found interesting about you is uh kind of how you your community activism and your musicianship and uh politics kind of work in concert how did you start the um, transition from music to activism and politics? Were they always like uh, two dual interests for you? Or was there a point where uh, you started moving away from your music career? And, <laughs> Paper, you know, yeah. That's actually a great question. I'm glad you asked. I love thinking about stuff in that way. So basically, you know, um, my story i always was kind of i always thought music was silly and people who like did music i thought they were like silly and it made no sense um i kind of like grew up in a sense where my parents were very what's the word um like conservative in their views of the world so in a lot of ways as far as like career path and stuff like that. So, you know, I never saw music as a real career path. And um, yeah, then I became, I, I got into music eventually, um, but I was already into politics and activism because my, my family was heavily involved in that, in, in politics and in activism as well. My parents were like activists, led a lot of uh, protests and, um, you know, as well as like research and things of that nature, my grandparents as well. Um, 
you know, a part of a lot of the movements that helped really shape and make this country and this city what it is. And so that was always ingrained in me. You know, for example, Martin Luther King's birthday is coming up. We would always watch like these Eyes on the Prize documentaries as a kid, um, seeing what has happened to us, seeing what the government has done to us, seeing what this country has done to us and really honing in on that. That was my... um, that was my reality as a child growing up. And so um, I was always interested in politics, but from an activist standpoint, looking at, okay, how can we use what's going on politically to basically liberate our people, um, you know, liberate our people. And then fast forward, we're just going to skip a bit. Fast forward to, you know, I'm a street performer and I'm a rapper and I'm like, oh snap, you know, and I'm also like throwing a lot of events and parties and a lot of these uh, skills that I'm using as far as just super grassroots organizing, because a lot of being a independent artist is like, um, you know, skills that are crossover skills to uh, grassroots organizing as far as throwing events and throwing rallies on a low budget, um, being able to make things happen with a quick turnaround, um, connecting with community members, uh, you know, inspiring people, um, connecting with local uh, businesses and all these things, you know, this was just stuff I was already doing. And uh, I had a lot of activist talks and I was doing a lot of this work in the streets, but it wasn't official in the electoral sense. And so I eventually decided to just put that all together, um, use all the skills and direct them towards, um, you know, electoral politics. So if that meant uh, uh, swinging my weight around in the presidential election, this past presidential like primary, you know, swinging my weight around in that, or if right. it was, um, my saw, race, yeah. I saw that uh, that Andrew Yang uh, gave you a shout out when you made a when you made a song for him um, in the presidential primary, and now that he's jumped into the mayoral race, uh, I guess quickly, I, I just want to quickly uh, touch on this because uh, we're talking about Andrew Yang, what. What do you um? What do you see your role in this race as? You're still running, but he, Andrew Yang, as far as I know, is one of your idols or one of your political influences at least. Um, are you going to drop out and, and endorse him? Are you going to stay in to kind of promote your uh, your community center? It's our time. <laughs> Paper, yeah, I love you all's questions. Um. So actually, let me back up a bit. So to to finish the last part I was saying, um, yeah, I used my skills, my community skills, my art skills, activism skills to basically turn that into working in the presidential race and then use the skills I even gained from that to my um, congressional campaign. And I'll say this about what you were saying. You know, when Andrew Yang, you said, oh, Andrew Yang, you know, gave me a shout out when I made a song about him. When it was more like I gave Andrew Yang a shout out and did a song about him. You know what I mean? Because when I did my first song about Andrew Yang, which now we're looking at, that was almost two years ago, um, people did not know who he was, right? People thought he was like, my, when I made that song, they were like, oh, is this like your neighbor or something? Or like your friend? He was not a popular candidate. He was not in the top 10 Democratic uh presidential nominee he wasn't even in the top 10 like we were trying to get him on um you know 
we were trying to get him to like 20K on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it was. Like, so at that time for me, it was more so about helping to get these ideas out there. It was also about like showing people, hey, it's okay to support smaller, lesser known candidates. You don't just have to go with, oh, this person, because what you hear a lot in politics, oh, this person never has a chance to win. So people won't support them from the get-go, not realizing that their support can trickle into um, more support for the certain ideas somebody that that somebody uh, raises. It can trickle into more support for this person down the line, and it can result in this person actually winning the race. But that never happens if um, the people don't, you know, step up and get behind them. So for me, you know, at that time, mind you, he was not known. You know what I'm saying? Like he was not known. I was bringing him up to a lot of people because a lot of people in my circle talk about politics. They're politically inclined people, people who went to college, people who read the newspaper every day. And they had never heard of Andrew Yang. I was the first person. And I, I talked to a lot of influencers. I talked to a lot of, again, political po- people, politicians, people that worked for staff. No, no one had heard of him at the time that I was doing these songs. And definitely not the people in my community, the people in, you know, here in, um, uh, Bedsty here in Bushwick here and they ha- they weren't aware of it. I'm talking two years ago when my I did my first song about that. So um, so yeah, for me that was super important because I felt like wow I got to watch going from a point of someone not knowing about a political candidate, not knowing about a certain issue, and me being there on the ground floor uh, using my music, using my shows, using my social media, using my dances. Um, to help get the word out about a political candidate and really shift it, especially in my local community here in New York. A lot of people told me, yo, you're the first. So when he started to rise and fast forward a year later, right, when I first did the song about him till a year after that, everyone, you know, a lot more people knew about him. They were like, oh, this is your guy. Hey, every time he was in an article, people were sending it to me because they were like, yo, this is the guy that's your friend because he was so, you know, unknown at that point. So what's my point? One, you know, um, for me, I've never been afraid to take risks. I've never been afraid to step out and talk about what I believe in, even if it's unpopular. You see what I'm saying? Even if it's unpopular. And at that point, um, you know, he wasn't a popular candidate. I, my management advised me against supporting Andrew Yang um, and doing the songs. They were like, yo, you need to do a Bernie song because they were like, he's the person, he's the person that people support. Like he already has a bunch of stuff, like, you know what I mean? And for me, I was yeah. like, I get that, but that's why I don't need to do a Bernie song because he already has that support. He already has that energy. For me, I was like, oh, this guy has new ideas. He's less known. I can have more impact. I can use my influence that I have to push people towards him instead of kind of, you know, um, doing the same old, same old, which, you know, which was the Bernie thing, which I, again, love Bernie. I campaigned for him in 2016, but, you know, uh, 2020 was different. So to get into, you know, where I see myself in this race, um, uh, where I see myself in this race and to back it up is, um, you know, I'm like uh, the Andrew Yang of this mayoral race, basically, whereas others may, uh, where I might seem like a long shot candidate to some people, some people haven't heard of me, some people are less familiar, um, you know, we might be the, you get what I'm saying, kind of like, whereas, I mean, like, the, like yeah. you know, people. So, um, so if you're the if you're the Andrew Yang of this race, is Andrew Yang the Joe Biden? You know, like that could be it. 
and that could be it. It could be Joe Biden. It could maybe be, sorry, I dropped something. It could be Joe Biden. It could be, um, I don't know, Bernie Sanders or something like that. I, I don't know because there's so many people in it, but that it's very comparable to the presidential race as, you know, early on in it, there was like 20 people in it, um, 30 people. In it. And mind you, that were like seriously talked about. And then there's, it was like 400 people that were running for president. Um, obviously the media doesn't delve into most of those candidates, but you know, they had these, the 20. So for me, yeah, I'm like the, the unknown, um, the most known unknown and, and rising, you know, we have tremendous upside basically, I think is what, what I even mean more so about saying that we're the Andrew Yang of this race is that, you know, Whereas for them, they have their, where they are and people know about them. And it's almost like you become a target. I, I will say that he's a, the Joe Biden of this race in that he's like, a t can be a target in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, how Bernie became, you know, once you become like the, um, one of the front runners, you, you deal with different pressure. Like he was able to like, he was hoping that uh, Joe Biden would say something to him. <laughs> I remember being like, you know, being in private chats with other people from the group being like, um, like, oh, yeah, we need Joe Biden to say something to Yang. Or, oh, we need, you know, Bernie Sanders to, to comment on one of his... You, you see what I'm saying? They needed that energy from the other candidates because there was no smoke coming from anyone. Now, with him at the front of this race, um, or getting more talked about, it's like... You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I have a two-parter about Andrew Yang again, uh, just because I'm interested in it. And then I want to... Um, then I want to talk about some other stuff. Uh, but first of all, do you think that Andrew Yang has sold out? Um, and second of all, what ideas are you trying to promote that, uh, that you don't think get enough uh, daylight in the mayoral race or you don't think Yang represents? Um, um, so you said, so you said, do I think he sold out? What, what do you mean by that when you say, do I think he sold out? Well, I'm just saying, um, if you're if you're still in this race after he's jumped in, it, like it indicates that there's something that there's something missing from his political profile or ideology that you think you can add, right? Or maybe you're just trying to promote uh, some idea that you don't think is given enough daylight. So my question is, what idea is it that you don't think is being promoted enough in this race uh, that you feel your continued presence will uh, promote? Or do you think that Yang has changed his uh, political profile or ideology since you supported him in the 2020 Democratic presidential primary? Um, thank you. That's a, that's a great question. You know, for me, well, I'll say this to start because people try to pit me against other people and other candidates. And I always say, you know, I have no competition, only collaboration. So my goal is to work with everyone. I have no competition. People say, oh, one of your competitors in the race. Did it. For me, I'm like, I have no, I'm Paperboy Prince. I have no competition. I only have collaboration. I only have community. I only have family members. My goal is to work with people to make stuff happen. Um, that's the unique skills that I bring to the table where most politicians, their main power base, their main skill is in division. Their main skill 
is in uh, separation and in polarization, where my main skill is in unity. My main skill is in love and bringing people together. So <clears throat> that's something super unique that I don't think we've ever seen in the political landscape before. And I don't think that we've ever seen from a person like me, especially uh, in the political landscape, which is what I feel makes it so special. But getting into your question, <laughs> paper, yeah. Getting into your question, you know, I feel like, um, listen, as, as one gets bigger, I don't want to say sold out, but as one gets bigger, there are certain compromises that you have to make. Whereas for me, because I'm so indie, because I'm so unsupported by the establishment, like, yeah, you know, uh, we've done Gucci, I've done some Facebook commercials, I've done uh, Vogue, I've, you know what I mean? I've done some major campaigns in that way, but how I got there is by being unabashedly myself, not compromising. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people identify that with that and uh, trust me for that. They know that, hey, I might be running as a Democrat, but I'm not afraid to get up and give a 10 minute speech about things that Democrats don't like to hear. But it's the truth, though. Yeah, I might be in New York, a New Yorker, but I might give a 10 minute speech about things that New Yorkers don't like to hear. But it's the truth, though. You know what I mean? Um, so I might be queer, but I might give a 10 minute speech about things that queer people don't like. To, but it's the truth. So for me, I'm always going to speak truth to power. I think other people are going to let um, sometimes power influence them more. Um, I also I also danced around the question a little bit. Let me just get right into your question. The real answer is I'm spreading love. We're spreading the most love. Like right now they measure campaigns by how much money they raise. They should be measuring our campaign by how much love we spread. We spread more love than everybody times 10. The love spreading agenda that we have is so strong. It's so powerful. It's inspiring. When you hear about Paperboy Prince, when you hear me speak, when you hear about the issues that we're fighting for and you see the way that we're fighting for them, it makes you want to get up out of the bed and vote. It makes you want to do something. It makes you want to help change your community. Uh, other people are like, oh, they're cool. I like their ideas. That's a cool idea. Wow, they're giving me that feeling. But when you hear our message, it's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I'm hyped. You know what I mean? It feels like you feel inspired, you know? And for me, it's that radical love that we're talking about. Um so there's that. It's also, you know, because basically you're asking the differences between me and him. Um, and, you know, it's, it's that. It's also, you know, I'm not a millionaire yet. <laughs> um, I'm not a billionaire. Um, so and a lot of the other front runners in this race are millionaires, him being one of them. And I have friends that are millionaires. I think, you know, I'm not hating on anybody for getting their money. Like they're all Americans. They're all uh important voices as well. But for so long in this country, for so long in this city, especially of New York, we've consistently voted for and put in power people that aren't of our same uh, social and economic class. We consistently put people in power that are millionaires and billionaires, which just, if you just look at the numbers, isn't representative of the average New Yorker. Um, the average New Yorker is like somebody making like 40,000 a year or something like that. Um, <laughs> very far away from a millionaire, right? Like working 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, just to be able to make rent and have food on the table. And I feel like you need people who understand the struggle of that to really deal with the issues directly. Because the people who end up being stat watchers, see a lot of these guys, 
they they uh, purport themselves as like this guru and and very uh, um, you know specialized in all these issues, but really what they are is just stat watchers. And it's important to know the stats and know the trends. But if you don't know the people, you are missing out on the biggest, most powerful stat. You, you're you're reactionary. See, for me, I'm a visionary. A lot of these people are reactionary. They wait for the stats to tell them something. I tell the stats what's about to happen. You know. Um, so it's that, and then it's our magical powers. You know, we have magical manifestation powers um, that help to change the world, that help to change the city, that help to change lives that no one else is tapping into. They don't even have the ability to because they're so set in their own ways. And what we're doing is revolutionary. It's an actual revolution. It's, you know, um, raising the collective consciousness of the people. They need the people to be thinking a certain level. They need the education level of people to be a certain level. And if you could see me right now, I'm putting my hand down because it's a low level they need. They can't have you thinking on a higher level. We had some technical difficulties, but Paperboy, if you remember what you were going to say, you can you can proceed. A big part of what I'm talking about is, you know, a lot of our issues that we're fighting for, um, other candidates have tried to poach um, or have come around on or are now touting as their own ideas when we were the first to stamp them. An example I was going to give of that was the New York Times just ran an article um, a couple days ago about <clears throat> saying something about like mayoral candidates like um, co-opt Yang's signature idea, universal basic income, which two things with that. One, you know, he's no longer proposing universal basic income. Um, it's like more so of a cash assistance program to the like most in need, I think what lowest um most in need New Yorkers, so like less than half a million, and it would be like a hundred dollars a month or something like that, hundred fifty dollars a month. Um, yeah, the yeah, New York Times. Sorry, I, I just want to. Yeah, it's about one hundred sixty-six dollars a month. Like it's two thousand bucks a year for the half a million poorest New Yorkers. All right, you can go. Ahead. Right. So my, my point was um, that the, in this article that they wrote about universal basic income, they mentioned all the, I, I, I didn't read the full article, um, but they mentioned other candidates that were like touting universal basic income. And it was weird because I was like, wait, you guys know I ran a whole congressional campaign on this issue uh, a year and a half before any of them said anything about universal basic income. You know, do you realize that that, that also happened in New York City <laughs> and that we got more votes than pretty much every challenger, almost every single challenger in the city, maybe all but one or two, and those people won. And it was close. So I'm like, it wasn't like it was like, not didn't have like a lot of support as well. Like we like had a lot of support with that, um, had large rallies, protests, um, just to UBI specifically, as well as other things. Um, and then I was directly working with Yang and um, uh, other members of that team for, to help push this issue through this whole time. So it was just like, they try to purposefully ignore us. And this is what a lot of times often happens to like, 
you know, black people um, in a lot of things when it comes to like entertainment, definitely in politics. Um, it's like, oh, you tell a joke and then somebody else tells a joke after you. And then, then the class laughs at that. And it's like, wait, I've been, that, that was my joke. You know what I mean? And that's basically what happens to us. Like so many things that we do, then you see AOC doing, then you see, um, you know, the mayor doing, you see other politicians doing after us, other candidates doing, and we don't get that um, respect for that as leaders in this political sphere in New York City and in the country. I mean, we're like one of the, the, the leading voices and, you know, and I don't do this for the respect of that, but the reason that I, I say that is to, one, to answer your question, that was kind of like specifically about that, but two, to let people understand um, how powerful our movement is, is that like, okay, you might not hear about us on CNN every night, but the people that are on CNN every night are watching what we're doing and copy and pasting that into their whole plan of action. Um, so, and we've done all this on a shoestring budget, which is like unheard of. That's the thing that to me is so impressive that it's like going up against the millionaires, the billionaires, going up against the biggest banks in the world, going up against the biggest real estate interests in the world, going up against the biggest healthcare interests in the world on a shoestring budget. It's just me, the people, our community and love, and we're have them scared. The last thing that they want to do is speak after us. The last thing that they want to do is um, us gain any more traction because we make too much sense. It's like, you know, it's easy to write me off as crazy if you just see me, one of my rap performances, but then when you actually hear me speak, when you actually see the community work that we've done, when you see the organizing that we, um, you know, orchestrate, it's like, whoa, what? Like, I didn't even know this existed. So uh, the, the longer I, I'm like a great strategy for them is just pretending that we don't exist, pretending that all the ideas we came up with other people, um, you know, are leading on when it's just not true, you know? Um, so, and that's why we fight how we do. That's why we are so unashamed and so flamboyant in our message because we have to be, if we weren't, they would compl try to completely ignore us. So yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but um, there was something that I, 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 you know, I've been thinking of this question based on some of the responses you've been giving. But a thought that came to my mind is, is I appreciate the way that you and in the beginning you described yourself as um, multi. The word wasn't faceted; it was multi-hyphenated. Um, and there's so much emphasis either through the media or just the way that we educate people in general that someone has to do one specific thing and pick one lane and be good at that one thing. And if you do something else, you can't be taken seriously. Um, so I like that you mentioned that. But the uh, the question that I had was you've, you've given um, – you sounded off on some of the issues that we have with our with our political process, right? The um, the way that people with the most money, even regardless of the fact that it's an irrepresentative irrepresentative minority of the population, have so much influence, and at the same time, smaller candidates have a harder time getting off the ground. This is the first citywide election that's going to have ranked choice voting. So do you see that having 
some big impacts right away? Um, and if so, how so? Would that be, um, you know, you said you're, you're one for collaboration over competition. So is that going to look like you <clears throat> maybe working with other candidates on the ballot and saying, let's rank each other? Is that going to look like, well, I'll just leave that to you to answer. You know, yes, ranked choice voting is very interesting. And I think the math and the strategy on that is new for many people. And a lot of them who, again, who have uh, kind of centered their message on division division and polarization, like I was mentioning before, you know, a lot of them now are at a uh, impasse because they're like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I'm so used to using this guy's bad and I'm the good guy. That side's bad and we're the good side. To, to keep power and to keep people in fear. So now they have to do something different. And then they're, that's why I'm saying they're, we're their well of ideas. That's why they're coming to us because it's like, oh, these are the people that are actually, um, you know, Paperboy is someone that's actually uh, leading the way and showing us a path to doing that. Um, so yeah, I think ranked choice vo voting for Paperboy prints is like, <laughs> I mean, how many people are gonna rank us second? or third on their ballot. I feel like a ton. I feel like a ton of people, even already on Twitter. Now granted, that's a biased um, platform and so, for so many reasons. And obviously the people that are adding me on there are going to be um, more like supporters of me, right? I'm gonna see more of my supporters than other people's. But it's a lot of people that aren't, I'm not their number one choice, but they're like, I'm a strong second for them right now. So who knows where that'll be in six months? Uh, a lot of people are, are talking about that. And again, a lot of the politicians don't want to say that. They don't want to say that I got more votes than, for example, Andrew Yang in, in New York City. Um, you know, he was running for president and I believe he already dropped out of the race at that point. Um, but just in my congressional race, I, in my one district, that was the only district I was in the ballot on, I got more votes in that district alone than I believe he got in the entire city. And, you know, he was in the ballot all across the city and all across the state, but just in the city of New York. So what am I saying that to say? I'm saying that to say that we've got a ton of votes. We've got a, we've already proved that we have a uh, voter base here. You know, that's not a myth. That's not something I'm making up. That's not a hypothesis. It's proven at this point. I've, <laughs> you know, we've done that. Um, so when it comes citywide and the number one thing I heard leading up to the election after the election was, I wish you in my district so, so I could have voted for you. I heard that all the time. So I feel like once we go citywide, once the entire city has a chance to vote for us, here are our ideas, um, especially in a ranked choice system where you want to give that unique voice more of a chance, you know, um, I feel like a lot of people are. I feel like we're going to shock a lot of people about how many votes we get. I feel like we really are. Like, I don't see any way that, personally, I don't see any way of us losing this mayoral election. I don't see it. I don't see it possible. I don't even talk about it, but I don't see it possible. Um, so with that being said, I definitely see us being in the uh, top three candidates um, for most people. And, and when it's all said and done, I see us being in the top three. Whereas right now, I don't know if they have us in the, I don't know how often people are putting us in the top five or top seven or whatever, you know? So, um, so you you, um, you said you don't see any way of losing this election. So do you think you're going to be 
the male. That's what happens when you win. Right. <laughs> okay, so yeah, good, good. Um, that, um, so I, I want to like add... And- I feel like this, uh, Giovanni. I wouldn't run if I didn't think I'd be mayor. I would not do this just to get my name out there. I wouldn't do this just to... Uh, you know, get some awareness about an issue. I'm just, no, I'm in this because I know that I'm the best choice for the mayor of New York. And I know without a shadow of the doubt that we will win this thing. I, I love that, actually. I love that. I mean, that's a, that's extremely bold and you clearly have a lot of passion. Uh, so I want to ask then, um, okay, you mentioned that uh, you're, basically the central thesis of your ideology is love. Spreading love, uh, your middle name is love, right? Um, yes. Yeah. So I want to ask, and and it seems to me from my research that uh, love is kind of the central theme, and then um, detailed policy is more ancillary or incidental. So I I want to focus on how love manifests in your ideology and how you legislate love and how, um, how you promote love through detailed policy. And I guess my question is like, what are, what are your main policy positions in, uh, in this race and how do they relate back to that, to that focus on love? Well, thank you. Love is so important and love is like one of the most important things. I feel like, you know, um, when we're operating in that way, so many of the things that we claim to fight for, the people we came to fight for, they'll be centered. And it won't be so easy for people to pick the corporations over the people if we're actually thinking about love. Um, so that's why that's so important to me, you know, and detailed policy is really important as well. You know, I'm a detailed person. Um, my background is in journalism. Uh, you know, I went to college at, for broadcast journalism as well as computer science. So my background is in the details and, and really flushing those out. So what oftentimes happens, though, is the media and how uh, I'm portrayed is just in this one way. They don't want to focus on our ideas. They don't want to focus on the detailed policies that we put out. You know, I, when I ran for Congress, I probably had more policy positions than any other congressional candidate. You know, I threw more protests where literally I'm in the middle of the street, walking through all the streets, um, talking about my policies for hours on end, no notepad, um, no computer, no, uh, teleprompter, just me detailing them off the cuff in the streets, hundreds of people there, thousands of people there. And this isn't made up. This is, has been seen before. It's on, you know, uh, major platforms as well that have covered this. So for me, you know, they try to, that's something that no other candidate could do. That's in this mayoral race. No other candidate would could lead 600 people through the streets at a time like that during Corona, during, uh, the police brutality that was happening, um, the riots that were happening. No other candidate can do that and still center center the conversation around love, not center it around these cops are bad. We need to go and, and, and bring the same energy they're bringing to us. No, centering 
it around love. These people are people. It's all love. And then also letting them know our policies in a very detailed way where you have uh, plenty of time to, to hear about it, sit with it, listen to it. Um, they don't want to cover that and show that. So for me, you know, um, I keep the message of love because, and one of the reasons I speak it so loud is because no one else is speaking that message. No one else is talking about love, um, especially in the way that I am, in the way that we are. So I, I almost get repetitive when talking about it. But as far as my policies, you know, we're super detailed. We're actually uh, bigger than having detailed policies, right? Because a lot of these politicians, um, we're going to talk about it today. <laughs> a lot of these politicians um, try to show themselves as so forward because they have detailed policies or they have uh, certain write-ups about things on their website or what have you, not realizing that it's because of the government system set up that is so inaccessible to so many people. Um, just internet access alone, super inaccessible to many New Yorkers. Um, reading above a fifth grade reading level, super inaccessible to uh, many New Yorkers. Um, just like reading political policies on a website, who does that? Who does that? It's a certain type of person who, who does that. For me, that's not serving the people. That's good. It's a step. It's an important step, but that's not actually serving the people because, you know, that's not how many people um, consume their information and really uh, get in tune with it. You know, if we're trying, the point that I'm making is this, Joel, if we're marketing a new soda, right, you'll see it on, um, you'll see the newest celebrities with it. You might see it at a basketball game. You might see a commercial about it. If we're marketing the newest shoe, um, same thing. You might see it in a rap video. You might see an influencer with it. Um, all of these different things. But when we're marketing our political policies, the things that's actually supposed to shape our society and help save the people, when we're marketing those, you're going to put them detailed on the website. That's not reaching the people who need it more. That's not reaching that bottom 500,000 New Yorkers. That, that's not reaching them. That's reaching the same political elite class that has been uh, overserved for this whole entire time. Paperboy Prince is actually about the people. So when I'm releasing my policies, when I'm releasing my detailed policies, it's through songs, it's through dances, it's through parties and events, ways that um, you know a lot of people who are traditionally underserved and forgotten about in politics aren't touched, aren't reached out to in that way. For me, you know, I was able to register hundreds of people to vote in New York over the last year because at my I'm sorry, over the last uh, two years, at my shows and parties, I would always have, as a rapper, right? Just as a regular rapper, I would always have voter registration available. Imagine if every rapper, every DJ, every singer, every comedian at all their shows had uh, voter registration available at that show. So for me, I might bring out 100, 250 people to a show. And if 30 of those people leave registering to vote that night, I'm reaching them in a different way that they wouldn't have been reached before. If I'm, I'm telling them about my policies at the rap show, I'm reaching them in a way that they wouldn't have been reached before. They're not going to go on the website and read about it. That's just such a small percentage of people. Um, you know, so for me, I, I try to do things in a different way to reach, to reach more people. 
um, right. to underserved people. But to, to actually, you know, get into the policies, there's so many of them. It's like, where, you know, where do we start? But again, I mentioned $2,000 a month of a universal basic income, uh, spreading love, which act is an actual uh, political um, policy, uh, meaning, you know, we would have love centers on every block in the city. So if you need a place where you need to get a hug, if you need a place where you need to get a kiss, if you need a place where you need to meet a friend, if you need a place where you need to just uh, talk to some people, if you need a place where you want your dog to meet someone else, if you need a place where you need your kid to have it, we need love centers on every block in the city and where we're constantly monitoring the happiness of people. We, sh we should, the country was founded on the pursuit of happiness. That was in the thing. <laughs> that was in the preamble to the constitution, the pursuit of happiness. Um, and I seem to be the only one uh, following up on that, right? So like having these love centers that actually allow people to, they can learn new skills, they can meet new people, they can do all of these things. This is the type of um, stuff we're focusing on. And yeah, that's a heavy investment, but that is going to be the things that mark and change our society, that help to highlight the culture of the city, all of these things um, that preserve the the energy of our um of our communities, all of these things that other politicians aren't taking uh, progressive steps in addressing. Another one of my policies is healthcare for all, you know, finding um, solutions for everyone to have healthcare, everyone to have dental care, everyone to have mental health care. Um, yeah, so this is kind of my, my big top three, the healthcare, spreading love, the basic income. I talk about futuristic schools a lot. I feel like, you know, most people most humans in society that invented uh, most of the things that we have didn't go to school the way that we did. They didn't go to school in a classroom with 20, 30 other kids in the inner city and have to take a bus there and have a period every hour. That's teaching you towards the corporations. That's not teaching you towards your consciousness to being a better human, a, a more ethical Um so I want to have more futuristic schools that also put more tools in the hands of the kids that also, uh, you know, allows them to find their own path instead of us forcing these subjects in their face that, let's be honest, we don't use most of them um, now. Uh, ending homelessness, you know, there's a lot of ways we can make sure that there's housing for all. Um, so, and then a greener New York, a lot of streets, um, I want to turn into grass, <laughs> You know, when Paperboy's mayor, a lot of the streets you see might be grass. Um, they might uh, be trees there. There might be animals there. I want to make New York more green. And I think uh, that will help to boost the happiness and love as well. And you see how all these th things tie in with love. Ending homelessness, that's love. Futuristic schools, better educate, that's love. A greener New York, looking around, you see trees, you see grass, you see fruits, you see... That's love. You see gardens, that's love. Basic income, you got money because it made the city all about. That's love. Spreading love, <laughs> paper, yeah. That's love. So that's what we're about. Um, so you mentioned universal basic income. You mentioned uh, $2,000 a month, which is um, pretty aggressive. And universal healthcare. Uh, you mentioned love centers. You mentioned a lot of stuff that's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, where does the city get the money for this kind of stuff? You know, 
the city can't just print money. You, you, I, I've seen you mention in previous interviews, um, not only defunding the police, but abolishing the police. Is that, is that one of your, do you have like a financial scheme and is, is abolishing law enforcement part of it? Do you want to talk about, uh, like finances? Sure. Um, so yeah, so I'm glad you bring that up. You know, I, a big thing that a lot of politicians talk about is taxing and taxation. And personally, let me speak specifically on the, the middle class and, and uh, you know, working class, uh, lower class people. Um, you know, the taxes are too high on this part of the population, especially in New York City. I mean, for some people, they're paying 30, 40, close to 50% in taxes. For what? What do you get for that? <laughs> Cops that give you a ticket, which is another tax. What do you get for that? Streets that I live off of Broadway in, in Brooklyn. And it, I've never seen a street with more potholes than that. <laughs> what do you get for that? Uh, politicians that during uh, the biggest you know, uh, pandemic that we've seen in our lifetime end up getting tens of thousands of people killed. I mean, you know, I feel like if anything, our tax dollars should be uh, reinvested into the people first. We, what happens is, and if you ever looked at these budgets, these budgets are so, um, because, you know, I come from a family who does a lot of government contracting and things of this nature. And even if you look at like a lot of the housing, like the public housing and how the contracts are held, given out to get to create a public housing and affordable housing. We talk about NYCHA. Um, we talk about UHAB. You know, um, a, a lot of these organizations end up partnering with uh, contractors that are very corrupt. They overcharge the city. They overcharge the state. And they are overcharging us, the people of New York. Um, for a lot of the services that they give and our politicians, because they're so unversed in um, creating the structures and, and doing things on a, sh a shoestring budget like many of us are, they, they end up spending all this money to get, get us whack stuff. It's like you would think when they spend all this money, we're getting like the dopest of the dope. We're spending all this money to get like super, super whack stuff um, as far as the... Um, what's provided from our tax dollars. So one of the things that I want to focus on is actually, um, you know, creating a system to where our taxes and our tax funds are used more efficiently because a lot of that money is lost. If you look up just millions comes up lost, like they don't know what happened to it. Uh, a lot of that money we're talking about, you mentioned cops. I mean, we're talking about uh, lawsuits, right? Um, that they're paying out. And a lot of this money is just overspending. We're just overspending on certain things that we don't need to be. But as far as the taxes on the, the, the middle class, the working class, lower class people, we have to find more innovative ways to create uh, resources than taxes. Because as our society grows, as we become more advanced, we have more advanced problems, these first world problems, right? Um, and they require first world solutions. We can't, we, right now we fund our uh, government the same way that they did like hundreds of years ago <laughs> through Jesus's time. 
We fund our government right now the same way they did during Jesus' time. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. That sounds like a, a scheme. If, and the taxes are only going up. If anything, we should be finding ways for them to go down. Uh, why don't we have somebody in the government whose job it is to find out how we can have more money, more resources for the people without uh, continuing to raise taxes? And that's uh, one of the reasons that something that I've brought up is community enterprises. So uh, businesses that are for the people, by the people, and that fund the people. So starting to create businesses and industries that the revenue and the profit share from these businesses kind of help to supplement tax dollars um, so that so that you're getting that um, so that in the next decade, hopefully, you will be getting that 30 percent, 40 percent, 50 percent that a lot of New Yorkers are paying in taxes back and you won't have to pay that large amount. Um, there might still be sales tax and things of that nature, but as far as like income tax and things like that, you know, um, we'll find ways to funnel that back into the people. Um, because right now, you know, the, the United States, New York as well, getting massive tax revenue, especially when you look at since more people are working, we have, uh, large immigrant populations coming in working. We have large, um, you know, sex of the population that weren't working before, younger people, women, people that are doing jobs online, all of these things. Um, the tax revenue has increased, but what's the people have gotten back from that is less. So for me, it's about finding innovative ways to, hey, yes, we need money to do things, um, but that doesn't mean it has to be the same old way of uh, taxing the people. We should be reversing that and funding the people. That's one thing I'll say. Two, I'll say this. New York is New York City. You know, it's not Portland. I got love for Portland. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's not Austin. I got love for Austin. I really do. It's not Los Angeles. I got love for Los Angeles. It's not Miami. I got love for my. It's not Dallas. I got love for Dallas. It's not Chicago, but I got love for Chicago. We're talking about New York. <laughs> Paper, yeah. So what does that mean? People from all over the world know about the, about the city. But the city isn't using that right. That we should be using the uh, allure, the mysticism, the uh, magnitude of New York to actually attract more uh, resources to the city. People from all over the world, far and wide, would donate to help New make New York great, would um, be a part of programs that we create to help them teach them about our culture, how people live, to hear just see different things that are going on all the time. People, companies, brands reach out to me specifically to be like, Hey, you're so New York and you're so in with what's going on in the city. Um, can you take a picture of this thing? Or can you tell us about that thing? Or can you talk about this? Or how did you do that? There's so much value we have here that we're not leveraging to the entire planet. All of those movies, musicians, um, TV shows, fashion that has happened here, we need to leverage that uh, globally, you know, not just allowing the corporations to do that, but the city starting to leverage that globally. And there's lots of ways we can do that, monetize that, get that out there, um, and also simultaneously help the people provide jobs and then using that, those revenue that um, to, uh, using that revenue to basically fund the people. Um, so, so yeah, for me, I think we can definitely do it. I'm the only one bold enough to 
to stand on it and take this task. You know, when this country was being started and there was the Revolutionary War and, um, you know, uh, the British are there and this is the, the British Empire, the, the biggest, you know, the, the baddest, the scariest. They have all these territories, all these colonies. And, you know, they're infringing on the people because of taxes being one of the things. The taxation without the proper adequate representation they're infringing on the people and you know what they say these uh they say that um they didn't say hey you know it's that's going to be hard to do to overthrow the british let's just not do it oh it's gonna be hard. paul revere don't ride no they got up and they fought and a lot of stuff was about it wasn't perfect right especially if you were black at that time but they got up and they fought and it wasn't easy there was some troubles along the way, but eventually it worked out. And now we have this, this nation that we do. And so for me, it's the same thing with these policies and these ideas. Like we can't be afraid to fight for them, work for them. Of course, there's going to be naysayers, but I'm paper boy. If I listened to no's, you would have never heard, heard of me, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Someone has to be revolutionary at some point for exactly. something to change. Exactly. And, you know, I, it's interesting that you brought up um, the Roman Empire and and taxes, and it says something about our ability to innovate. That we're stuck in this is the only way that we can do things. Um, Angela Davis, um, I believe it was two two and a half months ago, gave a uh, gave a talk at my school, and you know, she was asked about prison um, abolition and what what should be done and she said well you know like we are the we're an innovative species as humans we can come up with ideas we're creative we can come up with something new um so i guess i want to ask you about police abolition if you could materialize that how would you do that in new york city um gra- either gradually or more immediate and what do you see the role of some form of police taking. I'm wondering if police abolition is part of your financial scheme. Like, I mean, we we can all agree. I like that, that you're. I like that you're calling it a financial scheme. <laughs> like it's a uh, like it's a like it's a mischievous plot. <laughs> no, no, no. Financial financial plan. Um, I mean, I just yeah, I just wanted to mention. Like, I think all of us here, at least, we all agree that the police budget is bloated uh, and the police are highly militarized and that excessive force and brutality is a huge problem that is endemic to the uh, NYPD as it currently exists. But um, I mean, I want to know why abolishing the police is the best response. Of course you, uh, I mean, I've heard or I've read in previous interviews that you support, you know, some mental uh, mental health uh, uh, focused, you know, citizen or community controlled organizations that are trained in escalation or, or de-escalation uh, to kind of uh, to supplant the police. But is there not any role for armed law enforcement uh, in this city? Ah, that's such a great question. And for some reason, it, 
um, Instagram doesn't want me to go live because I was going to like, because <laughs> I because I wanted to simultaneously share my answer to this on um, Instagram live. But um, look, oh, Gio, that's how good our question was. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Now it's letting me do it. So, um, okay, so could you ask me that question again? <laughs> yeah, sure, no problem. Um, so you mentioned in previous interviews that I've read that you support abolishing the police in favor of citizen or community-controlled organizations that promote mental health um, and are trained in de-escalation. So I just want you to kind of outline how this would work and you know, a lot of us on the left, all of us here certainly agree that the police budget in New York is uh, bloated, inflated, and the police are highly militarized. Um, excessive force and brutality uh, are uh, endemic to the NYPD as it currently exists. But I, I want to know why abolishing law enforcement is the best response. And is there not any role for armed law enforcement to play in tamping down on crime in New York? So, so that's a great question. So basically, I'm going to answer that in so many different ways. Um, but to pop in, you know, here's the thing with police abolition, right? We've seen, even with the attack that happened on the Capitol recently, that there are different policing for different people. Um, and that's a problem. That's not fair. That's not just, it hasn't been fair. If you look at the, the inception of police and what police were created for, it's not a positive thing for all people. Um, it's actually like has been used as a occupying force in black and brown communities. Um, so for me, you know, if I take a ride through New York, right, at 10 p.m., um, which isn't that late in New York, <laughs> but most people are at home, um, and I drive through certain parts of Bed-Stuy where, you know, there are police on every block. They're just hanging out. There's a bunch of cars. Their lights are always flashing. Even if the siren isn't on, their lights are always flashing. So what does this look like? This looks like you're living on, like, a military base with like this big brother figure always watching over you. It's an occupying force because it's not people from your community. It's a lot of people from Staten Island. It's a lot of people from uh, Long Island. It's a lot of people from Jersey. You know, a, a lot of people that didn't go to high school with you. A lot of people that don't go to the deli with you. A lot of people that, you know what I'm saying? That are then policing you, literally telling you what you can and can't do in your block. But yet they're not even of that block. They're not even of that community. They don't know what it's like to live there. They don't know uh, Miss Jody that lives up the street. They don't know little Kenneth that lives down the hall, you know, but they're telling you what to do and they're telling you it, it in a very um, forceful and not loving way. And what does that do to people over time, especially when it, it disproportionately affects certain communities? And, um, you know, it's a problem it's a ma massive problem. So they've had plenty of time to fix it. Like it'd be different if like, this was the first time we were like uh protest against police. It'd be di different. If it's the first time we've like said, Hey, we have a complaint with the police. Like, no, this is like the thousandth millionth time, like literally. And the only reason it's gotten to this level is because um, of 
technology and videos and the social media being able to help spread the word of certain things, but the the traditional news media wasn't covering it all accurately. The politicians turned a blind eye to it, and um, they still have. They said Black Lives Matter a couple times over the summer, and then now it's back back to normal. No changes were made. No bills were um, you know created that helped to better protect uh, Black and Brown people. Uh, from getting killed and brutalized, profiled, terrorized by the police. So for me, you know, it's about actually finding ways to, um, you know, there is no hope, especially for the NYPD. At this point, there is no hope. You, we have to like abolish. Um, and when I say abolish, that doesn't mean, you know, uh, first off is this, put the, Anybody who, like, if you ask, like, somebody who's, like, a criminal or somebody who's been the victim of a crime where they had to call the police, because you think, like, oh, if you don't have a police, what's going to happen? You're going to be killing yourselves. They're going to, it's like, first off, the police are only needed in a society when there's a strong division between um, the haves and the have-nots, right? So that's when the police become most needed in a society, when there's this this strong of a division between the haves and the have-nots. Um, and yeah, they say you're going to be killing yourselves, but meanwhile, people forget like police don't, uh, solve crime. They don't, um, stop crime. Like if you're about to get robbed, you just got robbed. Like if you've ever been robbed in New York, like you just get robbed. And then afterwards you call the police and it's like, oh, what did it look like? Oh, what happened? Where were you? Okay. We're at the corner of, uh, Howard and Dean. Okay. Like they're not, they don't actually stop crime. So there's this, I would be down if there was a force of people that were actually out stopping crime, but it doesn't happen. They profile people and they do a lot of this stuff after the fact. But it's very rare that like while a crime is in process, like somebody's getting ro- uh, robbed, uh, stabbed, shot, there, there is not like they're there and they stop it from happening. They, they clean up the blood afterwards. And I hate to put it that um, frankly, but that's just the truth. So when people talk about what the police do, they're they're oftentimes misinformed. Like people, if we have police, there's still killings, there's still robbings, there's still all the other bad stuff that happens that I don't even want to per- repeat and perpetuate here. Um, so, you know, that isn't a solution. What really is needed to stop the crime, what I think would be a love team. You know, people that are actually out. Um, that are focused on spreading love, compassion, uh, resources to people. You know, if they see somebody stealing bread, which again, is rare police catch people stealing, super rare that that happens. Um, But if they see, or maybe after the fact, they hear about somebody catching, stealing bread, say, oh, you need bread? Oh, here's $20 for food. Instead of here's a $150 ticket, plus you got to come to see the judge. How does that make sense? Wait, but I'm stealing because I don't got money. Yeah, well, well, now you're going to have even less. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, you know? I, understand, I understand exactly what you're saying. And I agree with it, you know, to a large extent, right? That the main driver of crime is inequality. And oftentimes, the police act as an institutional buffer between the rich and the poor. Um, exactly. But the, I mean... There needs to be some sort of a unit with a monopoly of force that can enforce laws, right? How Why do we 
tell me why we need that. I, I, I'm, I'm just curious why. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just like, you said there needs to be, so I just want to like ask why. Well, I think that it's central to um, any sort of government. Uh, I mean, you need, you need laws to, to have a functioning society, and you need uh, the government to have a monopoly of force to enforce those laws, right? Or else, I mean, then nobody, like we, let's not even talk about um, uh, murderers or uh, robbers. Uh, let's, let's say, let's say it's uh, someone who embezzles money on Wall Street, someone who we all agree should be prosecuted or arrested. This person is uh, someone in a powerful position, right? Someone who doesn't really need to succumb to any sort of uh, legal pressures, if not for um, the police, if not for the government having a monopoly on for uh, on force. So, yeah, I'm wondering how um, how a monopoly on force would manifest in in your ideal society. Because I agree, we the the police need to be restructured and reformed aggressively. But I think that there's definitely still uh, a utilitarian need for them in uh, in our society. Well, Gio, I think you missed part of the the question there a little bit because um, you ex- you you you're basically just saying need for the sake of need, and you're I think you're missing here. If you you can disagree with me here, but I think you're missing that the point is you uh, a monopoly on force is to um, provide order through coercion. Um, yeah. And whereas Paperboy's stance is more order through like choice and voluntary. And I think that's, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that's more what a love team provides is less of a, uh, you're coerced into following the laws and more um, because not following the laws is born out of yeah that inequality that struggle and eliminating that elim- de- eliminates the incentive to act disobediently well uh, and yeah i think in some cases that's true but i i mean certainly not all laws are broken because of inequality there's certainly i mean i don't and paperboy you might disagree with me on this but i think there are definitely bad people uh, who want to subvert the laws um, j- just because they can or uh, out of greed or some other, you know, social vice. Uh, and but can I hop in? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But it's like, why do they want, why are, do they become a bad person? Right. Is it because of at a certain point they weren't getting the love that they needed or they're just inherently a bad person? Shout out Rez, don't die, Rez Lauren. Um, and, and getting a lot of love. I got a lot of love. So I want to shout out uh, some people, but you know, there's a lot of situations now where, uh, things happen because people felt, feel like they've been given up on. They feel like there's no one there to hear them. They, they have no other options. That's why people turn to these things. You know, I mean, if you look at a lot of people who end up in gangs, right. Who a lot of people would consider like bad people end up in a gang why do you end up in a gang because um of the life choices that other people made that 
that kind of like push you in this situation where, you know, you might not have had family members around that were keeping you uh, out of this. You might not have had um, a baseball team in your neighborhood. You really wanted to play baseball, but there was no baseball team, no baseball field. So you ended up in a gang. You might not have had all these other resources other people had. You might never had an example of someone who, uh, or maybe all of your examples were gang members. So you just fall into that, right? And you fall into that lifestyle and that's all you know. Um, so my point is, if we actually put a focus on spreading love to the people, definitely with a heavier focus on children, because they haven't been had the negative brainwash a lot of us have already had and ends up with us being lost. Um, shout out to Goodman9 too. Um, you know, because of that, that's where a lot of our issues and our problems come from. So for me, but I do hear what you're saying, right? Like, say all of that is cool and nice, paper boy. But yeah, then somebody somebody slips through the cracks of the love team of our love centers, and then they want to rob a bank, right? And they got a gun, and they're they got a hostage, or what are we gonna do, right? And um, well, there's two things with that. One, I'll say because of the way that we've used force and display force as a um, as a principal way of, of dealing with conflict, because the government leads the way with force and with um, weapons as the principal way of dealing with conflict, it ends up being that that trickles down to the people. That That's how the people learn how to deal with conflict. How can you tell me not to fight? How can you tell me not to be violent? How can you tell me not to have a Glock 19 when the cops who are seen as um, upstanding members of society walk around with a Glock 19 every day and they get free Starbucks and donuts. How am I not supposed to be seeing the value of shooting, killing, and bombing people when the U.S. military shoots, kills, and bombs uh, you know, men, women, and children all over the world in the name of democracy and freedom? Um, but you're telling me, oh, don't do this. We do this, but you can't do this. That's hypocrisy. If I tell you, yo, if I tell you, uh, Joel, you know, um, don't litter, but every time you hang out with me, I'm throwing litter everywhere. It's like, but paperboy, I rock with you. I, I think you're a cool person, but you're showing me you litter, but you're telling me not to litter. What are you saying? You're better than me? Oh, you can do things I can't. It's hypocrisy. And the people see that. And that's what's happening with the police. That's it's straight up hypocrisy. You're telling us not to be violent, us not to hit people. Meanwhile, the, the main uh, tool that the police use to get people to do what they want is force, is um, violence, right? And, and um, that's always so interesting is that, um, and I'm going to get back to the question, but I want to stop and say this, is that, you know, they always tell us in school when we, they talk about protesting and when they talk about resisting, they talk about nonviolence, Right, they talk about nonviolence. They talk about like Martin Luther King and Gandhi and uh, the civil rights movement and the bus boycotts, which are all awesome, and I'm very supportive of all these movements. But they forget to mention that the way the Revolutionary War was won, the Civil War was won, uh, World War One, World War Two, so many uh, things were won, resources were gained, were through violence. And that's one of the most uh, powerful tactics for change and social change is violence. And the U.S. government has been the number one uh, 
model for that, using violence as a way to get the social change that you want. And so for me, they teach us nonviolence in school as the way like, hey, black people, if you guys want to get freedom, be nonviolent. Because that's Martin Luther King, you know, the one we killed. <laughs> that's what he would have wanted. But they forget that they show us violence is the number one way that they have gotten all the gains and the spoils that they have. Violence against Native Americans, violence against um, Africans, uh, violence against um, other nations. Um, so for me, you know, it's it, I just had to pause and say that. And I, I, when I talk about the example that's being set, what example are we setting for the people? Right. Like we can't pretend we have minds that. And I remember I said earlier, our goal is to raise the collective consciousness of the people. So our goal is for people to actually be, um, you know, thinking on a higher level about these things. Our goal is for people to be thinking on a higher level about these things. People will never think on a higher level about these things if we keep having this cognitive dissonance of, um, okay, the police, the military, the government is acting in one way and is supporting a certain type of actions, is sanctioning certain type of actions, but then telling the citizens not to do that. It doesn't make sense. So, um, but I will say to your point about having a, you know, some type of force, um, what I will say to that is if we do, right, like, I don't think we can just abolish the police tomorrow. I think that it's something where, you know, there's a path to it where we're defunding, where we're, you know, uh, divesting and, um, kind of moving in a different pathway, uh, from that as we build up these other systems to help support our communities. But I will say quick changes that we can make are some of my favorite quick changes that we can make to the police that I would be proposing and immediately implementing when I become mayor. Uh, for one is um, a police that live in your neighborhood. So if someone carries a gun and a badge in your neighborhood um, and has the ability to arrest or fine you, they should live within a mile or two radius of that area. Um, because, and I feel like that would change a lot of the ways that police police all across the country, and definitely here in New York. You know, if you know that when you park your car and go home, the person whose neck you just put your knee on for nine minutes lives down the block and their family and friends live down the block, you might think about that differently before you let your, your knee stand on their neck that long. You might not choke hold Eric Garner the same way if you know that, hey, you know, um, I'm going to have to see him and his friends when I go to to the bar after work. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? So we need to have police that are actually in the community um, and of that community too. One thing I talk about, and again, like this is the things that, that I'll say and I'll step out and say because I've been actually a part of the problem uh, as far as like I've received, I've been on the receiving end a lot of the problems. So that's why I'm so equipped to help, uh, you know, create solutions. But uh, one of the main things that I love to talk about is positive reinforcement. <laughs> Paper, yeah, it's our time. Positive reinforcement. Right now, with our current police system, honestly, our current government system, we have a system of negative reinforcement. Um, the things that we do is we only highlight when something negative happened. I'm putting a general banner over it, but it's when negative things happen. So if you um, 
jaywalk or if you speed or if you, uh, I don't know, do one of these infractions, these little you know infractions, uh, you'll get a ticket. Uh, you might get arrested. These things happen. But if you do something good, there's nothing to reinforce people to do good. If I do something bad, if I'm homeless and I'm having, I don't have any place to live, so I I talk to police and I talk to, uh, you know, a lot of homeless people in the streets and they talk about, hey, yeah, sometimes I harass somebody and slap somebody just so I can go to jail and have a safe, warm place to to sleep, uh, something to eat, you know, so, uh, you know, out of the this cold for the next four or five days. I just need to be in jail four or five. Days. We only have negative reinforcement. Where's our positive reinforcement? If you're somebody like me who's like giving back to the community or you're somebody who you might just help an old lady across the street. You should be getting a hundred dollar ticket from the police for like, wait, you just helped the old lady cross the street. Here's a hundred dollar love ticket for helping the community. Wait, you just helped somebody bring their groceries up. Here's a $50 love ticket for helping the community. Wait, you're being a positive role model to the youth in this block. Wait, here's a $600 love ticket for this community. You can use it to help uh, buy the kids some shoes and stuff like that. There's nobody doing that. Paperboy Prince is the only mayoral candidate that will ever do that. Whoever has the balls to do that, who's been proposing that for eight months, New York Times won't cover it. It's our time. We're not scared. We're here. We're not scared. We're here. We're changing the world. We create it. This is our world. We create what exists in it. I don't take what they give me. I create it. I don't take what world that you give me and decide that I have to live in. I create it. My community creates it. We come up with it. I don't tell the people what to do. They tell me what to do. Right now, we have a government. We have a system that is uh, enforcing laws on the people, but isn't listening to the people. How are you going to enforce laws on the people, but not listen to the people? There's a quote that say that, um, you know, and you mentioned rules. You mentioned that we need laws. And, and we need these things. But it's a quote that says, you know, rules without a relationship causes rebellion. And what does that mean? Right now, we live in a place like New York where there's rules for every block, every step you take. There are rules and regulations. But there's so little relationship. There's such a small relationship between uh, the government, between the elected officials and the people that it's causing a rebellion. It's causing a a young person like me to have to stand up in the face of the police and and the time when I'm supposed to be on the beach having fun, figuring out ways to make money so I can make rent and start my business and shout out the Paperboy Love Gallery. Instead, I have to stand toe-to-toe with the police. Y'all see what I'm saying? Like, so, so for me, it's like, it's about making that change. It's about creating that relationship. It's so important because yes, we do need to have some rules and regulations, some laws to help govern things so we can have a, you know, a, an, an advanced and dope society. But at the same time, something super important that we need is that relationship, that relationship of love, that connection of community, how we have 9 million, 10 million people in a city, but people still don't know their neighbors. That's not going to be the same when Paperboy Prince is mayor because this is what I do. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. But um, you just you take that thesis and you you jump to a different place than where I am. Um, but agree to disagree. I mean, you're all your uh, the the driving ethos of everything that you're saying it makes perfect sense to me, uh, and I think Joel would agree. Um, 
It's just, I guess, we see different ways of getting to that place where you have both rules and a relationship uh, between the city government, which is supposed to be the, uh, the ultimate expression of the people's will and the people themselves. Um, okay, so I, wanna, I just want to ask you real quick, and I don't know if Joel has uh, a question that he wants to get in. And I want to let you know, don't let my my uh, my energy throw you off like I have an issue with you all. I love you all both. I, I was just, I get amped when I talk about this stuff. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? And it's like dope, you know what I mean? So th- this is my energy I have about it, but I don't want you to think that that's directed at you or like that I have oh, an no. issue. No, not at all, not at all, not at all. No. Okay. I love this, I love this. Uh, okay, I love, I love that energy and, and that passion that... It's our time. <laughs> yeah. um, do you? This is like a pretty simple question. Do you have like? Um, do you call yourself a socialist or an anarchist? Do you have any label for your ideology, or is it all fluid? Um, you know, I call myself a god. Actually, a god goddess. Um, <laughs> People ask me my pronouns. I'm like, God, goddess. I'm like, y'all not even going to respect my pronouns if I say them. So y'all might as well just use any pronoun with love, but mine are God and goddess. But no, I go with I go with a, a lover. You know, I, for me, I'm not so much into the labels because, again, these political labels have been used to divide the people. When most socialists, most Republicans, left wing, right wing, we, most people want the same thing. Mind you, I'm the type of person that's talked to all of these people, you know, and... uh being a, a young black person who, you know, I can't just spend all my time around uh, black people, you know, as far as if, uh, to get out in society and things like that, I end up having to be around different people. I've traveled around the world, uh, traveled around the country on tours, on all these different types of things, got to talk to so many different types of people. And from what I realize is most people actually want the same things. It doesn't matter if they're socialists, doesn't matter if they're communists, doesn't matter if they're, again, Republican, Democrat, left-wing, right wing, Trump supporter, uh, Hillary supporter, a lot of people want the same thing. They want a good life for their family. They want their kids to grow up in a safe world. They want uh, clean air. They want good food. You know, most people want the same things. But again, the politicians have used these different labels to try to um, divide us. My thing is about uniting us. You know, so and I've done such an amazing job of not falling into these traps of these labels. And I agree. And my, and my thing is like, yo, I agree with a lot of these people on a lot of different things. And there's some things that I don't agree with on. But all of the different groups I named, I agree with them on different things. And then I disagree with them on different things. But for most for what I see is I see the commonalities and the unity that we have together. I see the ways that we can come together. I don't see all of the differences. I don't see, oh, you're a socialist. Oh, you're a Trump supporter. Oh, you. I see you're a human. I love you. It's our time. Ha ha, paper. Yeah. You know, I see us coming together. So for me, it's like, I'm almost about to cry right now because I actually see how we can um, come together in a unique way. And I'm so excited to use my powers for good. I'm so excited to use my powers to bring people together. I'm so excited because, you know, we've been trying to, they try to divide us for so long um, based on our race, based on our gender, our sexuality, our political ideology, which part of the country we live in. And 
my goal is to bring us together to actually help the people, you know, um, in a real way. And like that unity is so powerful. And, and like you were asking me about detailed policy before, like I, that's the only detail you need. I'm telling you, that's, 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 that's the detail that you need right there. Because when you have that unity, when you actually have people that want to bring people together and are willing to, to take that step, it changes the world. It changes the world. That That's how we got here. By unifying people, by not being afraid to do that. You know, we don't have the most money. We're up against millionaires and billionaires. We're up against millionaires and billionaires. Biggest banks in the world. Biggest real estate companies in, in the world of all time. And we're still here standing and they're scared of us. Because we have everyone on our side. We have the people on our side. It's so powerful. I'm so inspired. And they're not going to stop us. <laughs> they can't stop us. There's no way. It's, it's, it's too big. Love always wins. It always wins. It conquers all. It's too powerful. The power will overtake you. I've seen it before. I've been in areas where I'm surrounded by gang members. Where I'm surrounded by gang members. And people talk ask me like and they and they say, Paperboy, well, there's these issues going to the community, the gun violence, and I'm saying, yo, I'm actually in the community. Surrounded by gang members, and they they see us giving out food, they say, yo, how can I help? We want to make a change. We want something different. We're tired of this. There's nobody's providing a way out. We're tired of this cycle. I've been in it. I, I, we want to get out of it. We don't want this anymore. Who's providing a way? It's us. We're doing that. There's a reason that they don't want our, our word to get out. There's a reason that they don't want us to amplify this message. Because it's so powerful. It changes lives. Yeah, so that's what I'm about. That's what I'm about. Shout out to the people that, that have gotten the badge and are live. Res Don't Die, Gooden9, uh, Jordan Noel, uh, Essa, Elio. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm I'm really crying right now. I really appreciate this. Wow. <laughs> I want to thank you for your, your passion and, you know, tell you that um, you bring a very uh, a very inspiring voice to um, not only the the field in New York City but to politics in general. There's so much inhumanity that that our politics is based on. Um, you talk about the way that people want the same things and are so divided by the um, by the labels that we use and it's interesting because even like Gio and I who we have minor like like minor disagreements but otherwise we're pretty much on the same page with a lot of things we use very different labels for how we describe our politics so yeah there's a lot of um there's a lot of rhetoric that gets in the way of people just um communicating with one another um so I guess I want to ask you about your the way you intend 
to um, the ways that you intend to reach out and scale up your campaign because you've you've got the experience of running um, a congressional race, but how do you plan on reaching out to everyone in the city and getting your message across? Because you've got an inspiring message and you know what you believe in. Um, so what are, what are the next steps that we should expect over the next couple months? Um, so I, I actually have to get going in a sec. So I've really appreciated this. This has been awesome for me and really informational. And, uh, uh, I love speaking with you all. Um, so, but I, I can get to that. And what I'll say is, um, you know, we have a lot of tricks up our sleeves. Yeah. And I guess you can tie this into your like wrapping it up, I guess. Like what can we expect from you in the next couple months? Well, one thing I can say is we got a lot of duff, duff stuff. We have a lot of dope stuff happening at the paperboyprints.com love gallery, which is uh, kind of my first experiment as a love center. And I, you know, I get it. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a billionaire. Um, I scraped together whatever money I have to, you know, start this, space that's community space and we also sell vintage clothing and dope stuff um to uh and do a lot of you know community and charity work as well um so a lot of stuff is going to be happening there um that you can look out for um we're also going to um I have the album coming out, which I mentioned before, that's going to let you know about a lot of our policies and the things that we're fighting for. I'm doing um, lectures. I've already done a few lectures at some universities and I have some more coming up, but I'm going to do my own lectures that I'll be posting online and that will go detailed into some of the issues that we're fighting for, some of the policies, some of the ways that we're going to implement them. Um, so these lectures will kind of provide a way for people to kind of have a more in-depth view on the issues we're fighting for. And will stand as a resource for other others um, across the country that want to, you know, use our ideas as a model to base some of their own own on. And um, yeah, again, we have a lot. Those are kind of the stuff that I can speak about. Um, we also are allowing people to run our campaign. So kind of vote on the issues that we fight for. Uh, give me suggestions on what to do, what to wear, what to say. Uh, all of these type of things, you know, I'm opening that up to the people. So we even did that a little bit on my, on my Instagram page. Um, like yesterday, I kind of let people know I'm going to be in a, a mayoral forum soon said, Hey, what ideas do you want me to talk about? What issues are important to you? You know, and they're still coming in. I have people texting me, I have people commenting and, you know, shared it on Twitter as well. So, um, yeah. Like, and I've never seen anyone do that before. I've never seen a politician before they put out their political um, agenda, allowing the people, their supporters uh, to shape that. Um, and that's kind of what I've done. That's what democracy is supposed to be about. Um, so we're doing that. And then we have a lot of tricks up of our, up our sleeve that I'm super excited about that. I don't want to give away just yet, but put it like this, like it's our time. <laughs> it's our time. That's all I can say. It's our time. We got some big things coming. Um, and you know, there's a reason that the other candidates don't want to like not highlight us because they know as soon as you pass Paperboy to Ball, it's LeBron James, Michael Jordan time. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it's we did all of this before with twenty dollars. I woke up this morning. Somebody donated twenty five. Another person donated twenty five to our campaign. My last campaign for Congress. I did, we did nine months with only $20 in the bank and we didn't use it. 
who used it like the last week. I, the first thing we did when I got my first set of donations, when we started to get like, I had a thousand dollars in. But like by the time we could get the money out of the bank from our donations, the election was already over. Um, so I spent maybe a thousand dollars on pizza um, at one point at a protest. Um, but my, my point is what I'm saying is that we did all this with like no money. Like if I had a million dollars, six million dollars in my account, like some of these other candidates, I already would be changing the city. I already would be implementing a lot of the policy. And we already are doing it with the, the resources that I have now right? Feeding people and doing all these things. But um, yeah, like it's just changing the world. Like <laughs> it's so fun, so funny. And we're inspiring so many people. Like I've had people all over the country that are running for office that are also got elected. There's a young rapper in in Maryland that got elected to their city council. And, and he cites me as one of his main inspirations for running and doing it how he did. Right. And it's like, that's, that's, this, that's only the beginning. It's happened in New York. There's a lot of other candidates that the first person that they talk to before they announce is me or, or that they want to, you know, get some info on about local. But and I'm not just talking about people running for office because that's not that's not even one of the main ways that you can make change. But people that are just getting involved, that are starting community organizations that are deciding, to, you know, try to fight back there. Um, we're one of the main people that they're tapping in with. And I see that as because we've been able to show ourselves as a leader with not a lot of money. We've been able to do this on a shoestring budget. So my point, I keep bringing that up is wait till we actually get that. Wait till we actually get that. Wait till I'm one of these candidates that have 150K in their account, a million dollars in their account. Like imagine that, imagine that. So, and part of the reason we do these things on the budget that we do it on is to help inspire people. Because if you see Paperboy Prince, but you know that I'm backed by all of these people, you know, I got endorsements from all of these fa famous people and big, you know, I got, you know, money from all of these. We, it's not as inspirational because it feels like, oh man, he got all the support. But in the truth, is, I, I we really did it with no money. You know, we've really been here with, um, and, and had to just do it with me, my speaker, one of my roommates, get in, walking a poster and that ends up, we get 16,000 votes, how? How? How do I end up getting more votes than AOC with twenty dollars in my bank? How? Because it's our time. Because we have the people believing in us. So uh, I'll I'll say that to say, look, we got a lot of stuff coming. We're gonna win for mayor. Paperboyprints.com Love Gallery is dope. Um, I love all of you so much. So happy to be here. Super excited. And <laughs> paper, yeah. That's uh, that's that's great. Thanks a lot for coming on. Um, we really do look forward to seeing how this unfolds and seeing what tricks you have up your sleeve. Uh, and before we go, because I, I know you have to run, just a really quick question. What does it mean when you say, ha, paper, yeah? Ha, paper, yeah. Ha, paper, yeah. Ha, paper, yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Paper, yeah, ha, paper, yeah, ha, 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 paper, yeah. Um, it's love, it's love. That actually came from, actually, it, that goes with what I was just talking about. That actually came from me being a rapper, and at one of my first rap performances, I wasn't even trying to be a rapper. 
But I had one of my first rap performances. Like, you know what? I'll do it. One of my friends from my basketball team in high school was on this. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And it's my turn to rap. And everybody kind of goes away from the stage. And they're like in the back. And no one's listening. And they're like, I'm like, wait. Did they not know Paperboy Prince is on uh, Paperboy Prince of the Suburbs is on stage right now? Did they not know what I'm about to? They don't. So I started, <laughs> paper, yeah. Because the person was like, oh, we have uh, Paperboy, Poster Boy. And uh, and I'm just like, ha, paper, yeah. I'm just on it. And people are looking back, like, what's going on? And then they start coming up. And then I dropped my first song. And then they feel that energy. I got the governor, man. They said, I'm too wild. They said, I'm too wild. I talk for the people. You talk for the man. I got the wish remade in the man. I'm so in love, but they hating again. <laughs> we spread in love again. Yeah, we spread in love again. <laughs> I got the, When they they start hearing it, next thing you know, everybody, yeah, hey, you know, it's a vibe and it's like an epic moment. So for me, that kind of just speaks to like believing in yourself. You know, at a certain point, you got to believe in yourself. Like a lot of people want to wait for other people to believe in them. They want to wait till, oh, uh, Beyonce believe in them to believe in themselves. They need uh, to be validated by LeBron James to be believing. You need to be validated by Barack Obama to believe in yourself. You need to be validated by your mom to be believing yourself. You need to be validated by all these other people, your neighbor, the people on social media to believe in yourself. You're not good enough even for you. Well, thank you very much. Good enough even for you to believe in yourself. You're not you're not sitting there like, you know what, Paperboy is good enough. If Paperboy thinks Paperboy is dope, then Paperboy is dope. You as soon as the first person starts doubting how your worth, you start thinking what they're thinking. You gotta be centered. You gotta believe in yourself. You gotta know that what you got is gold because it is. There's nobody on this earth that will ever have the same experience that you have. There's no one on this planet that will ever have the same molecular structure and body and mind and brain and experience that you have. It's only you. You're a gift to this earth. You're a gift to this world. You're so special. So why even for a second doubt your worth? Why even for a second doubt what you have? Even if it's not perfect, even if it's not the result that you want at that moment, it's eventually going to get there. But we're not taught that. We're never taught that. We're always taught to invest our worth in the grades that a teacher gives us. Invest our worth in the love that um, a uh, significant other gives us. Invest our worth in uh, the money that a job gives us. We're never taught to accept our own worth and the worth that we have as something special. So for me, you know, that's kind of where I center uh, my cell phone, and that's kind of where the haha paper yeah comes from. If I really wanted to get a little deeper into it, there's a lot of ways I can take it, but that's kind of like you know the first uh, way uh, of doing it. So yeah, <laughs> paper yeah, it's a great message of self affirmation, and uh, we thank you for your passion and your dedication and your time here. And uh, we really do look forward to seeing what happens. Uh, but I know you have to go, so thanks a lot, Boy Prince. For coming on and um and good luck to you thank you and yeah. i'll say y'all can find me at paperboy the prince on instagram paperboyprince.com uh 1254 myrtle avenue in brooklyn new york you could actually stop by and see me and talk to me um you can even text me uh at paper 9 2327 that's paper 9 2327 or 727-379-2327 if you want to talk to me and check this 
Um, we're changing the world right now. We're building our team. So if you want to volunteer and join our team, you can do that. DM me on Instagram or go to paperboyprints.com. Should be a volunteer link there. You can join um, and help us change the world. Um, so yeah, and I was going to say to you all in this podcast, you know, if you talk to other candidates or uh, for any office um, or different people that are in politics, definitely let them know about uh, you know Paperboy Prince and what we're doing. I, I, it's always an interesting question when you hear them um, when you hear them talk about us and our movement. I feel like that's just an interesting question because we're such an outlier. We're like an insider but outsider at the same time. So yeah. We <laughs> paper, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for coming on.